This Sunday is the first of a two-part series on taking Christ, taking God into the, into the workplace. Next Sunday, Pastor Jeff will be preaching on why work. This Sunday is focused primarily on taking Jesus, taking God with us. Let us just look to God briefly again. Thank you, O God, for this opportunity to be together in this way. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you would teach us as we share together around your scriptures. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Work is a major, major part of our lives. In fact, statisticians tell us that if we count the time that we prepare for for work, if we count the time for education, that it takes up about 73% of our lives, preparing for work and then actually working. And according to statistics on the internet, most Americans at this time in our culture, most Americans switch their jobs about every four and a half years. And the millennial generation changes jobs even to even a greater degree than that. It's also interesting to realize that Americans work more hours per week than their European counterparts. Approximately 32% of Americans work 45 hours a week or more, compared to only 18% in Germany. American workers also are much more likely to work uh, of what many would consider undesirable hours to work nights and weekends. There are more Americans doing that than our European counterparts. Since work is such an important part or such a large part of our lives about three-fourths of our lives if we count preparation for work, I would suggest that it is important that we look and to see what the scriptures tell us about work and that we invite Jesus to go with us, that each day when when we prepare to work, that we invite Jesus to go with us throughout the day as we go to our workplace. And this is the answer to the first, the, the first fill in the blank. And if you are a guest with us, you can, uh, you, uh, I would need to tell you that there are the message notes in the, in the bulletin, and you can complete those as, we, uh, as I go through my message today. So, with the amount of time, with the amount of time, the amount of resources, and the amount of energy that is taken by us as we prepare for work and as we go about our work, it is important that we explore what the scriptures tell us about work. So one of the scriptures that I want us to look at today is from Jeremiah 29, verses 5 to 7. Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7. And this is... Jeremiah's letter to the exiles who were carried off into Babylon 
Jeremiah is back in Judah, and he is writing this letter now to these exiles, and he is telling, this is what he tells them in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So here the Jews have been carried hundreds of miles from their land in Judah, from their land in Israel, and have been carried hundreds of miles taken to the Babylonian Empire. And some of the prophets told uh, the, the people, the exiles, that the exile would be very short, that the deportation, deportation would be for a short period of time. And the people would gl- were glad to hear that they would only be in exile for a short time. But the prophet Jeremiah, who was a true prophet of God, had news that was indeed much more difficult for the exiles to hear. His message was that the exile that they were in, that that exile would last for a long period of time, and indeed it was for 70 years, that it would last for a long period of time, and that they should that they should plant gardens, that they should give their sons and daughters in marriage, and that they should produce grandchildren. He says, build houses and live in them, in verse 5. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. And Jeremiah, even though Jeremiah was told by, by God not to marry, Jeremiah now is telling the exiles by the message of God that, that indeed the exiles are supposed to, to marry and, and, give, uh, and be, a, be a blessing in that way. They were to have children and to go about their daily lives in the land of Babylon. They were to, to settle there and to be involved in the life and the work of where they found themselves. And in a rather amazing instruction, the exiles were told to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon and to pray for the Lord on its behalf. The the people, the exiles, were taken far away from home. They were in a strange city and nation. And now the prophet says, the prophet is instructing them to pray for their captors, to pray for and seek the welfare of the city where they have been taken to. And Jeremiah, by this, this Old Testament prophet, we can see, and I'll say more about this later, but we can see that Jeremiah is foreshadowing the message that Jesus gives when Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, that we are to bless our enemies. And here Jeremiah in this amazing instruction is saying, you need to pray for your captors. For in its welfare, he says, you will find your welfare. 
you will find that you will be blessed. As your captors are blessed, you indeed will be blessed. As you go about your daily life and work, pray for the good of the people you may consider your enemies. And I would suggest that indeed they were the exile's enemies. They had taken them captive. They had taken them those many miles from home. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul also had some important things to say about work, and particularly in his letter to the Thessalonians. So from 2 Thessalonians verse, chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. So here in Thessalonica, where the church was growing, the church that Paul had planted there, there was a group in that congregation who were caught up in the enthusiasm about the coming of the end times, the return of Jesus. And they were so caught up in that that they believed they, they did not need to work, and so they quit their jobs. They were sure that Christ was coming, and when they quit their jobs, they depended then on the other people in the congregation to provide them with food. Since they didn't have an income, they were looking for a handout and for, became dependent on the other people in the congregation. So they became a burden for those in the church who were working. And we find in the scriptures that work and food are linked. For instance, way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And after the fall into sin, man's work became more difficult, became harder as he tilled the garden because the ground was cursed. And according to Genesis 3.18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So Paul states clearly, back going back to Thessalonians, Paul states clearly that the idle believers have the benefit they need to benefit by going to work. And part of the benefit, if you go to work, then you will have something to eat. They need to go to, go to work, we might say, and also invite Jesus to go with them on the job. And Paul, in his work as a tent maker, tells the Thessalonians that he was setting, setting an example for them. He said, I didn't receive support from you. I could have, he says, I could have received support because in his other teaching, he says that the labor is, is uh, the hire is worthy of his labor. And, but he wanted to be an example to them. So he continues his trade 
he continues his work as a tent maker so that he can be an example to the Thessalonians that they too needed to work hard. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. Paul also gave instructions about work in his first letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, he says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Now, some biblical scholars suggest that in addition to this group that was so excited about the return of the Lord that they quit their jobs, they were eagerly anticipating Christ's return, some scholars say, suggest that there was another group who thought that the Lord had already come and that the day of the Lord had already arrived, and as a result of that, they could live in freedom however they pleased, that they were in contact with the Spirit of God, and that they could live in without, without restraints. And that what Paul was teaching them and the other leaders of the church was not relevant to their day. So this radical group in Thessalonica expected the other people in the congregation to support them. They felt that they did not need to pay attention to Paul and the other human leaders. Jacob Elias, in commenting on Paul's instructions in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, and 11, says, quote, whether for social or theological reasons or a combination of both, some Thessalonian believers have slipped into a pattern of irresponsible behavior, which left a negative witness in their communities and imposed a financial burden on members of the church. To this group, Paul, in essence, says that they would show their love for one another most clearly by leading a quiet life, tending to their own affairs, and working with their own hands, end of quote. But evidently, evidently Paul's teaching from here, from here in 1 Thessalonians, evidently Paul's teaching did not get through to this, these groups of believers who were not working hard. They, these members of the church that were dependent on other members, that these members who were idle and rather than being busy, were busy bodies, that they did not change their ways. And therefore, as we have seen, Paul needed to address this, this situation again in his second letter as he writes another letter to the Thessalonians. It was Sandra Kronk who researched 
old order groups, both old order Amish and old order Mennonite communities. And she points out the importance of, the, the best way to say it is to use the German word gelassenheit, which means yieldedness. And she says, Sandra says, quote, the old order people reject any form of Christian living which emphasizes abstract belief and says nothing about the way people earn their living, raise their children, or furnish their houses, end of quote. So I would ask us, what can we learn from these passages? What can we take from these passages from Jeremiah and also from these passages from Thessalonians? How do we apply this to our day and to our time? I would lift up three things. Number one, pray and intercede for God's blessing upon the company that you own or where you work. As we have seen, it was Jeremiah's instruction to the exiles that they were to pray for the captors who had taken them away from home. And if you are an employee, I hope that you don't think of your workplace or the company where you go to work that, that, is, that your company is a captor or that your relationship with your employee with your employer is one that you would consider your enemy. And I hope that you do not feel that you've been captured by your company. But without misreading the text, I would suggest that we can change Jeremiah 29.7 to say, and work for the peace and prosperity of the company where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord for the company where you're employed, for in its welfare you Will, deter- will determine your welfare. So I would suggest, in the school setting, if you're a teacher, pray for the superintendent, pray for the principal, pray for the people where you work. And if you're working in a company, then pray for the persons who are on the board, pray for the owner and the director, the CEO, pray for these persons of, that are part of the company, who are part of the company. Pray for the owners that they will make wise, thoughtful, and discerning decisions. Pray also that they will work for the common good of all the people in the company, that they will work for the common good. Pray for the corporate board that they will be given wisdom as they carry out their instructions. I don't think that is doing violence to what the prophet Jeremiah is saying to the, to the exiles. I would suggest that that's how we can apply that scripture to our time and today. Number two, work so that you have something to share with the needy. Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. So, Paul is saying here, and the scriptures are teaching us, to, as we work, we are then able to respond and give generously to others who are in need. That it's not just for ourselves. It's not just 
for our own self-aggrandizement and say, look, this is what I have produced. These are the results of my work. But it's so we can help others, that we can be generous with what God has given to us. We can take an example again from the old order groups. Crunk writes, quote, through both the self-yielding and community-building qualities of work, the economic system is transformed from a potentially competitive, self-aggrandizing process into a way of caring for others, end of quote. So we work so we can be generous and kind and bless others as a result of our labor. Whether it's produce from our garden, whether it's money that we have earned, we can bless others. Thirdly, if we follow Paul's instruction in our work lives, non-Christians, if we follow Paul's instructions in our work lives, non-Christians will respect the way we live. I concur with Jacob Elias when he says, quote, a vision for a faithful, inviting community needs to guide us when we choose to separate from the world, end quote. Paul says, as he's writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says that as we are working, when you're working, then those who are on the outside, those who are not believers, will respect you will respect the way that you live and you will also you will not need to depend on others so as you go to your place of work or as you are working from home as you go about your activities relating to work we have the opportunity to relate to unbelievers we have the opportunity to relate to those who do not know the way of God. We have the opportunity as we come in contact with others. We have the opportunity to pray for their salvation. We can take Jesus with us into the workplace and we can share his love in that setting. Yes, indeed, the world is watching as we go about our lives. Paul suggests that the world will respect us as we work so that we can respond generously to the needs around us. Chuck Swindoll, in his comments about work and faith, says, your friends at work know you are religious because, and he lists some possibilities as the way they may know that you are religious, you mention occasionally that you are involved in church, You promise to pray for them as they go through a crisis. There's just, quote, something about you different yet attractive. And they've seen you go through a crisis and still maintain that something. Whatever your style, ask the Lord to make your life a sweet fragrance for the Lord. End of quote. So, as we've seen in the sermon, our work, our vocation, 
is a major, major part of our lives, a significant part of our lives. And we have been given gifts and abilities. We have received training. We've received education. We've been given gifts and abilities to be used in our work and activities. And we need to use those gifts and we need to use that training to use those gifts wisely in the kingdom of God to bring honor and glory to God and to use that to bless those who are unbelievers. So, I want to close this sermon by having a blessing for our work. And I would invite us to, as we're sitting here, to open our hands in front of us, all of us, whether we're retired or working, because I include that in my prayer blessing, but that we have this blessing, open our hands to receive this blessing from God and to have those hands open as a sign and a symbol that we are ready to receive. And as I indicated, if you are retired, I invite you also to participate. This is for everyone in the congregation. So let us pray. At our best, O God, the work and the worship of our lives are one, given to you with the whole of ourselves and the whole of our lives. We ask your heavenly blessing now for children and senior citizens and everyone in between, for men and women, girls and boys, in their jobs with pay and their jobs as volunteers, at work in their homes and at work in your world. We ask, O God, your blessing on all that we are and all that we do. We thank you, O God, for the skills and the abilities you have given to us as we serve you in your kingdom through the workplace. Amen.